Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. I want to welcome everybody that's watching online. It's so great to have you with us. Special welcome to my daughter Melody that's watching in Australia. Miss you and love you, darling. And uh, what a great service. One word. Do you believe that? Do you believe that one word from God can change everything? I genuinely believe that. So why don't we stand together and pray and trust that God will have His way. Come on, why don't you put your hand on your heart? That's where God deals with you. Jesus, you see our hearts. You see the the things that we need. Right now, we open our minds, we open our hearts, we open our ears and ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. Speak to us, change us, transform us as only you can. So right across this building and around the globe, wherever people are listening to, we thank you that one word, one word from you can transform us. So we have faith in your word. In Jesus' name. And everyone said an incredibly loud. Amen. Amen. Give someone a high five and grab your seat. It's good loud high fives. Put something in the chat if you're watching online. Just want to give these two boys a shout out. These two boys and Tim right there. Stand up, Tim. One year, one year ago in lockdown, they're all in my golf group, by the way, but they started to pray every morning at 7 a.m. Is that right, boys? So literally every day for one year, they have FaceTimed in together and prayed and not missed a day. Is that right? In fact, Tim, you were on your honeymoon, and is it correct that you dialed in to pray? So isn't it awesome that these boys don't just lead worship? They're men of God. So let's give it up and thank God for you guys. You're a blessing. Question. Have you ever felt intimidated, like you're totally out of your depth. I remember 2006, I was going through a tough season where I couldn't sleep. Anyone ever been through one of those? I would put my head down on the pillow and my thoughts would race. See, I'm used to being in control of my thoughts, but this was the one season in my life where I felt like my thoughts were in control of me. I couldn't switch it off. I tried reading the Word. I tried speaking the Word. And I tried running late at night. I'd run for an hour. But for whatever reason, these thoughts just kept going uncontrollably. I remember going to the doctor and they prescribed me a concoction of antidepressants and sleeping pills. At the time, I was seeing a mentor He's a straight-shooting Aussie called Scott Wilson. We had coffee together, and he looked across the table, and he said, Steve, if you need those things to live your life, you need to make some changes. And it was a bit of a defining moment, and we did make some changes. And within a few weeks, we were uh, on our way back to Australia. And starting a new season, we felt that the cloud had moved. And so we went back to Australia on the 30th of January of 2007. We were going back to be service pastors in 
Hillsong Church. And a couple of days before we got on the flight, they told me that as well as being service pass, a service pastor, they wanted me to run the evening college. There were about 400 students, and I thought, that's good, but I was feeling the pressure. So we flew over to Sydney, got off the plane. When we touched down, there was a message in my phone. It was from Mark Hopkins, the uh, vice president of the college. And he said, can you come straight to the office? So I went to the office and he said, Steve, as well as being a service pastor running the evening college, we want you to lecture in our college. Three different subjects, 10 hours a week, leadership one to 600 students, uh, ministry to the second years for 200 students, and then finally, three hours a week on philosophy of ministry to our third years. And I thought, man, three hours a week, high-end stuff, I can't wing that stuff. And I remember we went from Mark's office to Gloria Jean's for a coffee. How many know a coffee just gives you a bit of perspective? But even the coffee didn't help. Rachel had popped into Coles to get some groceries, and I stood waiting for my coffee, and this little voice started to say, you can't do that. You're not good enough. Don't they realize that you're just a farm boy from County Durham. And I instantly started to feel my thoughts race. I've never been through a breakdown, but I reckon I came pretty close at that moment. Rach came back from Coles with a few supplies and she looked at me, she knew it wasn't good, and she came over with me. She said, it's gonna be okay. She prayed with me. She's actually pretty amazing and it really helped. Two days later, I booked in an appointment to see Robert Ferguson. He's kind of like a spiritual father to me. And we sat down together and I explained what had been going on. And he said, do you know what your problem is, Steve? And I didn't. Didn't know what my problem, I didn't think I had a problem. I didn't think I was the problem. Would you like to know what my problem was? You ready for this? He looked at me. He said, Steve, you're too English. As if it was a disease. Now, he's English, so he could get away with it. He said, you're too English. He said, you're so used to being in a space where you're able to do and you're able to plan and you've got everything worked out. But he said, here in our church, you've got to get used to living out of your depth. Because when you're out of your depth, then you've got to trust God and believe in him and ask him to be your strength and your supply. And then he gave me a scripture, and this really helped. Do you want to know what the scripture is? Do you want to know online? 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and a sound mind, or self-discipline. So I want to talk to you very briefly on overcoming timidity, overcoming timidity. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid. It's not one of the spiritual gifts that he gives us. He doesn't say, there you go, there's some timidity. That word intimidation is when you're timid on the inside and it's ruling and controlling you. The definition of timid is lacking in courage or self-confidence, lacking in boldness or determination. And I learned this, if the enemy can intimidate us, he can influence us. And that's what the enemy wants to do 
in your life, to make your life small and contained. When we came back to England three years ago, me and my brother went to play golf in Scotland in a place called Dornoch, which is like a million miles away. It's about an 11-hour drive. And so we were driving through Scotland, and it was about this time of year, and we're seeing all the wheat fields. Who loves seeing the wheat fields? And I grew up on a farm, as you know, and when I grew up, I remember wheat growing about this high. Now, it might have been because I was a bit smaller, but it grew to about this high. Now, when we were in Scotland, we were driving through, and I was looking at this wheat thinking, it's not very big. And so we actually got out and measured it. It was about this high. So I'm saying to my brother, what is it? Is it the Scottish? Are they too tight to put enough soil in? You know, why is it so small? Sorry if you're Scottish. Sorry, Bill. But he said, no. He said, the reason it's so small is they spray it with what's called a growth inhibitor. It stops the stalks from growing too tall and being blown over by the wind in the windy climate. So intentionally, by spraying it with growth inhibitor, it keeps it small. And I think one of the things that the enemy wants to do in your life is to spray you with a growth inhibitor. He wants to, to keep you small. He wants to keep our church small. I remember another story which helped me understand this smallness and timidity. I wonder whether the team can bring up these stools for me. I was, I was taking the, the 15 naughtiest kids in Norfolk who'd be, all been permanently excluded from school. And me and a couple of mates, we got the job of taking them across Britain on mountain bikes. So we went from the Welsh coast, the Langollen Path, we went from there to Sheringham in five days, 250 miles, 50 miles per day on and off road. It was hardcore. The first night we went up the Langollen Path, uh, there was a lightning strike, hit one of the kids. On the evening we were in a, like a YMCA hostel, I was having a breather, I looked up and there were kids on the roof throwing things at the residents. I thought, what have I done? These are big boys. And when we're training them for this bike ride, we're going through, the, through Norfolk and we came to a star. Now, I think I may have a picture of a style. This is a, a picture that I took. Some of you may be from other countries. You don't know what a, a style is. That was us in the lakes on Monday. That's a good, good shot, isn't it? Do you like my photography? That's at the bottom of Cat Bells on the way into Derwent Water in Keswick. But anyway, that's a little aside. There's my wife in the distance. Can you see her? Just give her a little wave. Charging ahead as usual. But anyway, we came. We're, we're training these kids on how to ride mountain bikes and how to carry a mountain bike over a stile. So what you've got to do is you pick up your mountain bike, you put it on your shoulder, I showed the boys how to do it, you step onto the stile, put your swing your foot across and down the other side. It looks pretty straightforward, yeah? So each of the guys, they did it, you know, I'd done my little risk assessment. And then it came to this big guy called Paul, he was about the third guy. And he comes up with his bike and he looks at the stile and he just stops. I'm like, come on, mate, get over, hurry up. And he just stared. He says, I'm not doing it. And I mean, if you saw this guy, he had muscles on his muscles. I mean, when he spat, it did push-ups. I mean, he was this kind of, kind of guy. He could easily do it. But he totally refused. Let me tell you why. He was brought up in another country, and he, he, didn't, he couldn't read or write English. 
So when he came into the school system, he always failed at any academic test. And so he began to perceive that not only had he failed, but that he was a failure. Because this is what the enemy will do in your life. When you fail in one area, if he can convince you that you, are, you didn't just fail in an area, but that you are a failure, then you will stop trying in every area of your life. Your behavior becomes your being. You become defined by your dysfunction. And that's what had happened. Every time he was faced with a challenge, he said, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. He felt small. He felt intimidated. Sometimes we start to look at ourselves and see all that we're not. But God looks at us and he sees all that we are and all that we can become. You know what this style represents? A transition in our lives. A, tran a transition from our comfort zone. Our comfort zone is everything this side. And how many know we like our comfort zones? Why? Because it's comfortable. We've been there, we know what to do, and we much prefer to stay in our comfort zone, especially after a pandemic. We got comfortable working from home, we got comfortable with our lifestyle, and sometimes it's a whole lot easier to stay here. But sometimes God asks us to step up and step forward. Our word as a church this year was the word advance. God has called us to move forward, to step out of our comfort zone and into the faith zone sometimes the faith zone can be scary when I spoke to Robert Ferguson what was he saying to me he said Steve you're in the faith zone but it's in the faith zone where you need faith it's in the faith zone where you've got to trust his strength and his power so looking at your life right now you guys online you guys in the room I wonder where would you put yourself right now are you in the comfort zone, holiday mode, or are some of you, you're in that position of risk where you're just about to step up, or are you living in the faith zone? What is God saying to you? What does that word advance mean for your life, for your family, for your future? And so young Timothy was in a situation Timothy was a young leader in his 30s, young pastor, faced with all kinds of opposition. He feels weak, he feels intimidated, and Paul, the gritty, mature apostle, writes to him, and he encourages him, and he said, the Spirit of God does not make us timid. Because when we feel timid, we shrink back. I wonder what areas of life are you shrinking back? Maybe it's in the workplace. You feel out of your depth. You're struggling. You don't apply for those promotions because you think, oh, I couldn't do that. Or maybe it's in your family. There's a member of your family that intimidates you, speaks horrible things over your life, makes you feel small, so you just go with it. Maybe it's when it comes to stepping out, out of the pandemic, back to normal life. There's something that is just holding you back from going back to church or stepping up. I love Hebrews 10, 39. 
Come on, give me a smile online. Hebrews 10.39 says, We do not belong to those who shrink back. It's the same word. It's a word for timidity. We don't belong here. We weren't built for here. We weren't designed for here. God built and designed us not to shrink back, but to be a people of faith that step into the future, that change the future. You weren't designed for the comfort zone. You were designed to live in the faith zone. You know, it's not so much stinking thinking as shrinking thinking. You know, we, I've lived in a couple of countries, lived for about 14 and a half years in Australia, lived in America for six and a half months. And when you live in other countries, you, you see their mindsets, their strengths, their weaknesses. And when you've lived outside of Britain, you start to see some of the beauty and the awesomeness and some of the less awesome things about the British mindset. Pastor Brian said this, the smaller the island, the smaller the thinking. British mindsets will sometimes intentionally keep you small. I suffer from a northern mindset. How many northerners do we have in here? And sometimes the northern mindset can keep you small. Lockdown mindsets will keep you small and keep you in a cocoon of comfort. You know what I found sometimes? Christian mindsets can keep you small. Have you ever heard people say, I just want to go to a small church? Funny that, because I don't see that shrinking thinking in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born, how many people were added to the church in one day? 3,000. Within a few weeks, the Bible says that they had turned the world upside down. You don't do that by being small or by being timid. You do that by being strong and growing. Jesus didn't say, I will shrink my church. He said, I will build my church. He is in the building business, the growing business. You know, he's the key. I don't think God has a problem with small churches or medium churches or big churches. I think all of it is his church. But I think every church should be trying to do two things. Are you ready? To get bigger and get smaller. Bigger so that we can extend our reach and reach more people and have a positive influence in our world. But we also need to get smaller so we can keep caring for the one, keep loving on every single individual. In the early church, they met in the temple courts in their thousands and they met house to house in their twos and threes. We got to be good at being bigger and being smaller. It's not either or, it's both and I will build my church, Jesus said. You say, how do you break that smallness mentality? I know what changed it for us. Uh, my father-in-law, Trevor, or Pastor Trevor as he was, he went to a conference in Arizona, in Phoenix. And Rach and I were living in America for six months. I said, you've got to go to this pastor's conference, Tommy Barnett's. And so we went with Trevor and Joyce. Actually, Pastor John came with us. I think he was about 17. I think it was his first flight. We did something stupid, didn't we, Rach? 
we allowed John and Ben to share a room with me and Rach. We were newly married. What was I thinking? There was like a curtain into the Holy of Holies where we were. They were definitely in the court of the Gentiles doing some very naughty things. But anyway, we were at this pastor's conference. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from England, so I'd, I'd never seen a church bigger than 400. And so I went to this pastor's conference, seeing there'd be, you know, a couple of hundred people. We got there. It was this massive arena. There were 10,000. There was not a spare seat. Rachel and I were up with the gods right on the top layer. The thing started, and oh my word, we'd never seen anything like it. Literally angels started descending from the roof. Not real agents, there were people on strings. And we watched a parade of ministries, 230 different ministries paraded down. And there was people that ministered to drug addicts, people to, to skateboarders, people that helped people with specific needs and Down syndrome. Rachel and I watched this thing and we just wept our way through. This was what church could be. And Pastor Tommy got up and he said, tomorrow night I'm going to preach the gospel. I want you all to bring people to church because I'm believing a thousand people are going to get saved. I'm thinking, wow. So the next afternoon we were, Rachel and I and Joyce, I don't know where you were Trevor, but we signed up for an evangelism seminar. I thought, "I I want to know how to build a church like this. So we went to this seminar, we had our notebooks, and I was expecting 10 points. And Pastor Tommy walked in, he said, right, we've got 50 buses lined up. He passed out a lot of invites to church that night. On one side, they were in Spanish, on the other side, they were in English. He said, I want you all to get on a bus, we're going to drive you downtown into the ghetto in Phoenix, and I want you to knock on doors for one hour, that's your evangelism seminar, and invite them back to church tonight. Now we got a shock. But to be honest, me and Rachel, we're always up for a bit of a challenge. So me, Rachel, and Joyce, we got in a bus. There's about four of us in this massive bus. They went, went down, they dropped us into this street downtown. We didn't know this, Sam, but for 10 years, they'd been feeding people every single week in that street. So we go knocking on the doors. Nobody speaks English. But my wife, at least she looks Spanish. All right, so they're all looking at her. It's easy. And I'm like, church, tonight, bus. And giving them this this invite, I'm thinking nobody's going to come. After about an hour, an hour and a half, we went back to the bus. It was jam-packed. There wasn't a single seat on the bus. We had to give up our seats. So people, we we were stood there like sardines. When the buses got back, we were slightly late for the service. It was already jammed. But behind the speaker, there was the... Have you seen the big American choirs in all the robes? There was a choir of about 400 people. Obviously, someone said, right, choir, out. So they all cleared off, and all the people that arrived on the buses started filling in behind Pastor Tommy. I mean, there was drug addicts. There was people that were drunk that had never been in church. We were like, this is crazy. He got up and I'll never forget it. He did an illustrated sermon. He had a car. Talked about a guy who'd nearly been killed in a car accident. He met the Lord. And then he gets up and says, if you want to receive Jesus, come to this altar. People started moving from everywhere. They came out of the choir. At the, right in front of our eyes, 1,020 people gave their lives to Jesus in one service. <laughs> On the last night. Trevor Joyce, me and Rach, John, we went up to the prayer mountain. They gave us a seed to plant on the top of the prayer mountain. 
And together we prayed for Norwich. Little did we realize that God was planting seeds in our hearts for our city. That's in the late 90s. It broke that spirit of smallness off my mind, off my thinking. I started to believe that if God can do this in Phoenix, why don't we have a little bit of faith? If only people can start to step up, maybe we can have a foundation. Maybe we can feel people. Maybe we can have a wonder. Maybe we can see thousands spill into our buildings and our city be changed. I didn't give you a spirit of timidity. That doesn't come from God. It's not one of his spiritual gifts. So, so far I've told you what God didn't give you. Would you like me to tell you what he does give you? Because this is the good bit. You still with me, Richard Nash? You still with me? What did God give us? God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but he gives us, are you ready for this? Power. Power. That word in Greek is dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamic or dynamite. What has God given us? He's given us power that literally can make an impact, can make a difference. If you look at it in a Greek dictionary, it talks about dunamis as being ability and capacity and capability and strength. Does anyone need a bit more ability? Does anyone need a bit more strength? Does anyone need a bit more capacity? Because when your strength runs out, thank God his strength kicks in. When your ability runs dry. Thank God he can pour in a supernatural anointed ability to do what you've never done and to go where you've never gone. You weren't designed to live in a comfort zone. You were designed to live in a faith zone where it's not about how good you are. You get to taste and experience how good he is. It's a life of adventure and purpose and calling. He didn't give you a spirit of timidity that shrinks back. He's given us a spirit of power. And I think God is starting to stir up soul church. I don't know whether you're feeling it. We've had a pandemic. We've had a little holiday. But I reckon when Pastor John comes back, there's going to be some dynamite that's going off. And let's get our hearts ready and let's say, hey, I'm in. I want to see my city changed. I want to see my street changed. Want to see my family change? Giving you a spirit of power. Leonard Ravenhill. He said, a man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by man. I think that's worth saying again. A man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by man. It says in the verse before, 1 Timothy 1 verse 6, for this reason he says to young Timothy, Timothy who's called, Timothy who's got youth on his side, but he's feeling discouraged, he's feeling weak. The Apostle Paul says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. It's in you. There's a fire in you. But all you've got to do, young Timothy, is it's about time you fanned it into flame because it's already there. Everything you need for your future. I've put a fire in you. It's a gift. It comes from me. But it's, it's died down. There's just embers. But I want to breathe upon it. And it's going to become white hot. Did you know the fire burns at different temperatures? In different colors. We've got it on the screen, hopefully, that... 
The different temperatures equate to over here, if you can only just see a flame, it's a very dark purple, it's 525 degrees. But as the fire gets warmer, heats up, it starts to go more orange, it reaches 1,000, that's nearly twice as strong. But the hottest fire is dazzling white. It's 1,500 degrees. What I love about this is you don't even see it. I think we should be so on fire, we burn so white hot. It's no longer about whether people see us, it's all about whether people see Jesus. That's the fire that God wants to light in your life. Thank God that our young people are going to camps and we are believing that God is going to fan into flame the gift of God. We're going to see it. We're going to feel it. But it's not just for the young people. It's for the front row and the back row. It's for people on every side. God wants to stir up. He wants to fan into flame the gift of God. If you want to live life in the faith zone, you've got to make sure the fire that is within you is greater than the fires that are around you. Who's ready to fan into flame? I'm going to give you power. The Spirit of God does not make us timid. doesn't give us that. But he gives us firstly power. And secondly, he gives us love. The word love in Greek is agape. It's a very unusual word. It's a, the Christian word for love. And God is saying to some of you, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but... There are people in some of your worlds and it's very difficult to love them. They have made themselves almost unlovable and your natural love has run dry. They press your buttons, they've treated you shockingly and you feel like punching them if you're honest because your love has run out. But God says, I'm gonna give you a Holy Spirit power encounter and when the Holy Spirit fills you here's what he does according to Romans 5 5 is that the love of God is poured out through the Holy Spirit it's no longer your love it's his love that's going to flow into you and out through you it's going to give you the capacity to love the unlovely you're going to be so white hot that they're going to realize that it's not your love it's a supernatural love. It's God's love. And some of you need that in your marriage. You need that with your kids. You need that in your workplace. I'm going to believe that for you. He's going to give you power, secondly, love, and then thirdly, a sound mind. The NIV calls it self-discipline, which I'll explain in a moment. You know, your mind is incredibly important. Just looking around at all of you fine minds. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Most of your styles in life are psychological. When you reach the style, it's your mind that dictates whether you step forward or you step back because your life will always flow in the direction of your strongest thought. That's why the Bible tells us to take every thought captive. So I'm gonna dissect your mind for a moment. How good would that be? To get Mark Hollinger's mind and put it on the screen. Who would pay good money to see that? Actually, I would pay good money to see Sharon's thoughts about Mark on the screen. That would be sensational. 
Your mind is made up of three things. Ready for this? Write this down if you're making notes. Your response, your reason, and your resolution. And all three are important. You can't miss out one of these three because they all matter. Number one is your response. Your response is your response in terms of your emotions. Times we all need emotional support. That day in Gloria Jeans when Rachel came across, she understood my emotions. She brought comfort, perspective, and she prayed for me. Who is there in your close circle who loves you when you feel like that? I love the way the Apostle Paul introduces himself to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 2, he calls him my dear beloved son. Paul loves Timothy. And he says in verse 4, I am mindful of your tears. Have you heard of mindfulness? It's actually a Bible concept. You go to the people that love you. You go for the people that are mindful of the pain you're going through. And we all need those people. Who's yours? Who are the people that you go to? Who can you cry with? So that's your response. But the second part is your reason. That's your intellect. And that word, a sound mind, it comes from a Greek word. It's only used once in the New Testament, sophronismos. Here's its definition. I love this. Are you ready for this? Sophronismos is an intelligence appropriate to circumstances. Wow. An intelligence appropriate to circumstances. How many wish Christians would use more sophronismos in their life? How did Robert Ferguson help me? Rach, help me respond right. Robert, help me reason right. He said, here's how you're processing. Here's how you're thinking. Here's where it doesn't hit the mark. So here's where the Word of God will align your thinking. Who do you have in your life that shows you how you're processing things and where you need to line up your thoughts with God's thoughts? Because the Bible says His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we don't bring His thoughts down to the level of our experience. We've got to align our thoughts with His thoughts. How do you do that? Through the Word. Through God's Word. Who gives you perspective? Who helps you process your thinking intelligently? Who challenges your thinking? Who looks you in the eye like Robert did and says, do you want to know what your problem is? You know what, most of us don't like those people. We like the people who go there, there, there and help us respond. But often we pull away from those who will help us with our reason. And then lastly, there's our response, our reason, number three, our resolution. It's the third, third part of your mind. Resolution is about being resolute, determined, having a conviction, a determination. It's about grit and conviction. If ever there was a man of grit, it was the Apostle Paul. He was... He was stoned, I mean, not the wacky-backy. He was stoned with proper stones. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was shipwrecked, but he kept determined to pursue Christ. It was Paul who said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep. And sometimes in life, you need to activate your resolution. Your resolution can be defined as this, re-solution. It's finding an answer 
or a solution to a problem. Have you ever met anyone who didn't want a solution to their problems? They just want people to feel sorry for them and say, they're there. Or sometimes we want someone else to bring a solution to our problems. Can I be honest? Sometimes we want God to. But God gives you a gift. He gives you power. He gives you love. But he gives you sophronismos. If you look at it in the Greek, it's defined this way. It's the exercise of moderation and self-discipline. Some of your problems that you're asking others to solve or God to solve, he has already given you the power and the self-discipline to solve it yourself. If you're struggling with your weight and the chocolate cake shouts at you in the middle of the night, Stephen, eat me. You know, God gives us self-discipline. If you're struggling morally in your office with that person that is flirting with you, oh God, take away the feelings. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he gives you self-discipline. The ability to say no. To say no to the things that the enemy offers you and yes to the things that God offers you. So come on, why don't we stand for a moment So wrap this up. Just recap and then we're going to pray. Going to pray. Going to pray and believe for God's power, God's love, and God's self-discipline in your life. So recap this message. I wonder what area is the area that you need God to do something in your life. Those of you watching online as I recap, Maybe think about which area of your life you need God to touch you. Let me just go through real quick. Number one, God didn't give you a spirit of timidity. Some of you have been shrinking back, stepping back, and God's going to challenge you in this moment. Hey, stop it. It's time to step up. It's time to advance. Number two, God wants, are you ready for this? to fan into flame. I said he wants to light a fire in you. Some of you, you're bright purple. Some of you, you're just an orange. But God wants to stir it up. He wants to fan into flame a fire on the inside of you. We don't have to wait for a youth camp. God can fill us with his Holy Spirit in moments like this. He's our source and he's the force. Number three, he wants to give you the power, the ability, the capacity, your strength. You feel so weak. He's saying, hey, I want to fill you with some new fire. He wants to stir up that gift so you can speak in that heavenly language. You can stir it up Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. He says, but you, beloved, but you, beloved, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Some of you need to start praying in the Holy Spirit five minutes a day. It'll transform you. Number four, for some of you, for some of you, this is the word. This is your one word, love. You've been struggling with a family member, a colleague, rejection, intimidation. God says, I'm going to give you my love. 
You're going to receive and then give out. To love them as you never could love them. That child, that spouse, he gives you power, he gives you love, and then lastly, it's going to give you a sound mind. Whether it's your response, your strength, he's mindful, he sees your pain. Whether it's that resolution to just keep going, to dig deep, whatever it is. Come on, who's believing God that this, this is not just another service, one word from God? So come on, why don't you close your eyes? The team are going to come. We're going to ask God to fan into flame, to stir up the gift of God within you. He's given you power. He's given you love. He's given you a sound mind. Come on, let's worship Him together. Spirit. things. Father, we want to thank You. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Thank You that You haven't left us on Your own. You've given us power and love and a sound mind. And so right now, every person in this building, everyone watching online, God, would You have Your way? Would You stir us up so we can step up? and step into all that you have for us. Would you shake us from our comfort zone and cause us to live in the faith zone, trusting you, depending on you. Holy Spirit, would you do in us what we cannot do? We need you, Holy Spirit. So right now, all across this building, Wherever people are listening, come, Holy Spirit of God, and fill your people afresh with a fresh fire, with a fresh power. Come on, why don't we stir it up one more time? Sometimes you've got to get expectant. You've got to ask God. You've got to pray to Him. Come on, one more time. Stir it up, Lord. Stirs us up so we can step up, so we can step forward and advance into all that God has. I wonder what your step is this week. For some of you, stepping up means loving that person that you've cut off. For some of you, it's having the confidence to say, you know what, I can do this. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to serve. I'm going to help. He stirs us up to step up. But I'd love for just one moment for everyone in the room and everyone watching online, just give me an attention for one moment. Maybe you're here in this building and this is all a bit new to you. You weren't expecting this, you came with a friend or maybe this is the first time you've ever been in church like this. And friend, I wanna tell you that God loves you. He's got an amazing future and a plan. I'm so glad that when I was 13, I said yes to Jesus. And He took all of my stuff and all of my sin and He forgave me and He gave me a new start. He gave my life meaning and purpose and an incredible future. 38 years and I've never regretted one moment of following Jesus. It's been a wild ride. It's been an adventure. Maybe you've never made that decision. 
Maybe you walked in thinking that it was all about rules and regulations. Friend, it's not. It's about a relationship. It's about saying, Jesus, would you come in to my heart? You say, Steve, how do I do that? How do I invite, invite Jesus in? It's really easy, but really powerful. You pray a prayer. You open your heart and say, Jesus, would you come in and change me? And the greatest joy that we have in our church is to invite people to pray that prayer. People in this section, people in this section, people in this section. If you don't know Jesus, this is the moment when you can invite him in. We're all going to pray together. Maybe you're watching online or in the room and there was a time when you walked with him. There was a time when you prayed that prayer. But if you're really honest, you've grown really cold and you've drifted away. But you've been in this service and you know Jesus is real. And you need to be in a right relationship. Here's the other good news. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, He still loves you. And He'll give you a fresh start. So we would love to give every one of you, online or here in the building, the opportunity. The best opportunity of your life to get right with God. By praying that prayer. So here's what's going to happen. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I'm going to invite you. You online, the youngest to the oldest. I'm going to invite you to say yes to Jesus. If you're in the room, you can do that by putting up your hand. Then all together, online and in the room, we're going to pray a prayer. And if you mean that, I'm going to invite you just to place your hand on your chest and invite Jesus to come in. How many of you have made that decision? Come on, in the room. How many of you have done that? Come on, give us a wave. Wasn't it the greatest decision? Friend, we want to give you that opportunity. So right now, everyone, just bow your head and close your eyes. Friend, this is between you and God. Remember, when I count to three, you raise your hand and we'll pray for you. You ready? All across this room, whatever country you're listening in, wherever you are, are you ready? One, two, three. That's it. Lift up your hand. Come on. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Love that. You guys online as well. I love it. Come on. Put your hand on your chest. Everyone repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I need you. I can't do life without you. Would you forgive me of my sin? I need your power. I need your love. I need a sound mind. So come into my heart. Change me from the inside. And from this moment forward, with your help and strength, I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. How fantastic. I love it. You know, some churches go for months, if not years, without people responding. We have the privilege every Sunday. Let's never take it for granted. Friend, if you raised your hand, maybe you're in the service or online and you didn't raise your hand, but you prayed that prayer in your heart. God sees your heart as well as your hand. So we would love to give you a gift if you're in the building. As you walk out, we'll have team 
They'll be holding Bibles or a sign saying Bible pickup or at the back as you go back into the welcome lounge. We would love you to give you a Bible. Guys, if you're online, then put something in the chat. Let us know. Our team will contact you. We just want you to know we love you. We want to pray for you, encourage you, do anything we can. So isn't that fantastic? People respond to Jesus. Come on, one more time. Why don't we give them a round of applause? Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.